he who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. Thank you for taking time to join us as we take time to learn from God's Word together. The message you are about to hear comes from the Cape Elizabeth Church of the Nazarene in Cape Elizabeth, Maine. Listen to more sermons or learn more about the church at our website, capenazarene.org. So for the past few months, I've been praying about asking the Lord, okay, what should I, what should I be preaching about in the summer? Where, where might we go from, uh, from here? And just, just trying to discern what, uh, where God was leading and what He might do and and uh, as I was thinking about and praying about uh, what we might preach from, I just found myself uh, in reading the New Testament again and again, going back to various stories in the Old Testament. And I found myself, whenever I was reading Scripture, you know, you often will see a footnote at the bottom of the Bible that says, oh, well, you know, this references this Old Testament passage or this psalm or they're quoting from over here. and I'd always find myself looking back. And, and often when I'm preaching from the New Testament, I find myself having to you know, tell a little bit of the Old Testament story. And I found myself thinking, wouldn't it be great? Wouldn't it be great if uh, we kind of like looked at some of those stories, those stories that didn't just shape the New Testament, but they shape who we are. That the, the story of humanity, even in the Old Testament, from a far different culture and a far different time, is still our story. And I found myself thinking, like, if we can see how God worked there, we might be able to see our similarities and how God is still working in our life now, and also then have a greater understanding of how those stories not only shaped who Jesus was and is, but still shapes who we are today. And so that, was, that became then my prayer as I was going through this, is God, is this okay? And I guess we'll find out as the weeks come whether or not God blesses this. <laughs> uh, so, um, so anyway, we are, uh, that's a little bit of a joke. I, I trust that he will. Um, so I want to share with you a story from Abraham. Abraham in Genesis is um, uh, called Abram uh, during the first part of his life. Uh, as he steps into the covenant and the promise of God, he will come to be called Abraham. So the story we are in still calls him Abram. But uh, leading up to this story, I want to kind of give you a little bit of background. He is uh, just hearing the promise of God to go and settle in a new land that he's going to give him. He had told him, he says, hey, I'm going to be your God. You're going to, your descendants are going to be as numerous as the stars. I'm going to be with you. And Abram's like, okay. And so he's going into this. Now, this is in Genesis. Genesis means a beginning or the beginning, it's, or beginnings. Genesis is the start of things. And, and indeed, in the first few chapters of Genesis, it tells you, hey, we are talking about the very beginning of the world here. And Abram, this is, his story is, is at the beginning of kind of a, a recorded history. It is uh, like we have to look really, really hard to find much written about before Ab- Abram's time. And so one of the things, based on some of those writings we know, is there are basically kind of two major civilizations. One is the one he comes from, which is the Mesopotamian area, which is like modern-day Iraq. Later on, it's going to be called Babylon. But he comes from that area. And so that was a, that was a major city at that point in time, a few thousand people, pretty big. Otherwise, all you had were like tribal groups and family groups. But another major city was Egypt, another major place. And in Genesis chapter 12, he is going to the land from the Mesopotamian area. He's going to the land that God has told him he can go. And there's a famine. 
And in this famine, when, there, when you cannot, uh, when you don't have a way to feed your flocks, your herds, and you can't uh, uh, plant crops, you have to go somewhere where you hope the famine hasn't hit. Somewhere that perhaps is used to feeding large groups of people, which means either he goes back or he goes the other way and he goes to Egypt. And he found himself going to Egypt. And this is kind of a recurring theme in the Old Testament, where, Egypt, where a lot of times when there's famine in that land, they end up going to Egypt. And in Genesis chapter 12, he goes to Egypt and he's scared. He's really nervous. He says, I don't know that I can trust them. In fact, he's so scared that he thinks if they see me defenseless by myself, all I have are the few people that help me herd my cattle and I have my wife and and she's gorgeous, and they're going to see that, and they're going to run off with her, and they're going to take her from me. And so he, he, he in his nervousness, says, hey, you're just going to claim to be my sister instead of my wife because I don't want them to kill me to take you. And so uh, uh, sure enough, they're interested, and they're going to take his, take his wife, who they think is just his sister. And, but God afflicts them with a disease, and, uh, and they say, wait a minute, something's not right here. Something's wrong. We've messed up somehow. And they, they talk with Abram and they realize the mistake. And he gets his wife back. And it, it's a weird kind of story in which we find ourselves asking, man, Abram, why would you do that? That just doesn't make sense. But I found myself, as I go into this passage I'm about to read, I think the point is not just what Abram does there, but kind of the difference between how Egypt acts and how Abram acts. Between chapter 12 in chapter 13, I think kind of sets them up to kind of look at two different ways of living. You see, Egypt is kind of set up as the foil to Abram. Egypt is the one who has all the influence, has all the power. Abram does not. Abram is hungry. He's worried about his life. He doesn't know how he's going to live into the promise that God has uh, set up. He doesn't know how he's going to live into that hope. He's worried. He's scared. And he comes and he realizes he's at the hands of the country he's immigrating to. And Egypt, as, as uh, we find not only in this story, but later on, is a place where they will take from and manipulate from those who have little or have little to give. They're, they're of the mindset of, you know, if we have all the resources and we are better managers of those resources than you are, therefore we're going to take your resources and we're going to manage it better. That, that, that mindset, I think, still exists today. That mindset has existed throughout history. Oh, I'm better at managing resources than you are, so let me take yours and put that to work. And all of a sudden, they're left with even less than they had before. You know, there's an old adage in finances. Uh, the further up you go, you don't just want to work for money. You want to make your money work for you. <laughs> and so everything is this... Uh, economy of, I can do better with the resources for a better return for myself. And Egypt is exactly that way. Not only with how eager they are to take his wife, but later on in their history with his descendants and how they will turn people who need help into monetary units, slave units for their work. But Abram in chapter 13 has a completely different picture. And that's what I want to read for you today. So, this is after um, they had gone to Egypt and they're on the way back. So Abram went up from Egypt, he and his wife and all that he had and lot with him into the Negev. Now Abram was very rich in livestock and silver 
and in gold. And he journeyed on by stages from the Negev as far as Bethel to the place where his tent had been at the beginning, between Bethel and Ai, and to the place where he had made an altar at the first. And there Abram called on the name of the Lord, and now Lot, who went with Abram, also had flocks and herds and tents, so that the Lot the land could not support both of them living together. For their possessions were so great that they could not live together, and there was strife between the herders of Abram's livestock and the herders of Lot's livestock. And at that time, the Canaanites and the Perizzites lived in the land. Then Abram said to Lot, Let there be no strife between you and me, and between your herders and my herders, for we are kindred. It's not the whole land, is not the whole land before you? Separate yourself from me. If you take the left hand, then I'll go to the right. Or if you want to take the right hand, then I'll go to the left. And Lot looked about him and saw that the plain of the Jordan was well watered everywhere like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt. And in the direction of Zoar, this was before the Lord had destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. And so Lot chose for himself all the plain of the Jordan. And Lot journeyed eastward. Thus they separated from each other. And Abram settled in the land of Canaan, moved his tent as, uh, while Lot settled among the cities of the plain and moved his tent as far as Sodom. And now the people of Sodom were wicked and great sinners against the Lord. And the Lord said to Abram, after Lot had separated from him, Raise your eyes now. Look from the place you are, northward, southward, eastward, westward. For all the land that you see, I will give to you and to your offspring forever. I will make your offspring like the dust of the earth, so that if, no one, so if one can count the dust of the earth, your offspring can also be counted. Rise up, walk through the length and the breadth of the land, for I will give it to you. So Abram moved his tent and came and settled by the oaks of Mamre, which are at Hebron, and there he built an altar to the Lord. Abram is with his nephew Lot. They are family. They have moved in this area together. They've worked this together. He's able to get out of Egypt with whatever goods that he has gotten. And at this point in the story, he's gathered a little bit more. He's ready to settle. But he realizes that uh, this is where they are together. As long as they're living together, they are competing for resources. They're competing for land. And And the herders are just arguing and fighting about this. Now, I don't know about you, but uh, if someone you care about or someone who works for you or someone who's your family member comes home from work and says, so-and-so said this about me or so-and-so did this to me, guess what? Your opinion about that person just changed, didn't it? (laughs) You've just decided, wow, any enemy of yours is now my enemy. And so you would think in this story that Abram would be saying to Lot, hey, I need to settle into my land, but your herders are causing problems for mine, and I don't want them to leave. I don't want them to quit. It's hard enough to hire people these days. And so he is trying to get, uh, so, so he, you would think he would just do everything he can to consolidate, to, to make sure things are right. After all, this is his team. This is his people. But Abram does something quite unusual. He says to Lot, I'm going to give you first pick. We, we really should split up because this is getting too much, but where do you want to go? There's not going to be any animosity. You're not going to say down the road, oh man, you tricked me, you, you told me to take this land or anything like that. Remember when you were a kid and you, and you decided you wanted the last piece of cake or the last piece of pie or the last cookie or the last candy bar and you'd go over to get that and then your sibling would say, oh, I want it too. And you're like, oh, come on, really? 
Like, you only want it because I was about to take it. And then your parents would holler out, you better split that. And you know what you do. You split it, and you give them the smaller one. Because after all, you laid eyes on it first. That's just how it went. But, you know, after a while, the parents would wise up, and they'd say things like, one of you's going to cut it, and one of you's going to pick. And from that moment on, it's like, okay, I'm getting ready to cut this piece. And you're like, you're doing measurements, right? And you're, you're just making sure that they don't get the bigger one. And then they're doing this big analysis. Like it's taking more time to figure out who's getting their share than it would have taken to eat the whole thing. And so like, like that's what you do. Because the childish nature in us is I want as much as I can. I want all that I can get. And it's funny how childish that actually is. That uh, the way God has called us to live is not to be in this kind of, what I want, I'm going to get, I'm going to take your portion and your piece of the pie too, if I can. And so Abram does the exact opposite of Egypt. The one who says, hey, look at how well I manage these resources. I'm already, paying for, I'm already providing for these thousands. Oh, you want to come in? Well, it's going to cost you. I'm going to see what I can take from you. Abram says to Lot, and Abram's the senior. And Abram's the one with more experience. And Abram's probably got a slightly bigger, uh, 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 I would guess, I guess it doesn't say. I would have guessed he had a slightly larger, uh, having more years to acquire a slightly larger flock and herd. But he says to Lot, I'm going to let you decide. <coughs> You can look, because what is more important than me securing at your expense is making sure that there is no more strife between us and our workers. What is more important is the peace that we can have and what God has called us to together. And so he lets Lot pick the land, and Lot does, and he looks around and says, well, I'm going to take this side. And later on in the next chapter, we'll see how that'll create issues with some of the, the people on the east who have, who, have, uh, who have power that he's going to end up going to war with. But Abram does not hoard, he does not take. He is the exact opposite of the Egyptians before him. He, he instead says, uh, we are called as people of God, as followers of God, to trust in His provision, to trust in His blessing, and trust that we don't have to acquire, we don't have to take that. Indeed, we can share because God will still bless out of that. And I think that's an important lesson for us to hear because I think if we take this story seriously, I think Egypt is not just confined to a geographical location. Egypt is not just defined by a, a particular group of people. We all, at some point in time, have that mindset. We all, at some point in time, say, oh, well, maybe I could just get a little bit more. But yet God has called us to find that what he is asking for and calling out of us is indeed a willingness to live together and to try to avoid the strife that comes when we just, I don't know, commodify each other when we just kind of make resources out of one another. And yet we find in this story that God, just as he will show throughout the Old Testament, is one who has a heart for, a soft spot for, people who are in their shoes, people who don't have a place to go, people who are poor, people who are outcasts, or people who are undeveloped, or for victims. He, he, has, he has a heart for those who are still trying to make their story. And this is where he is with Abram. One of my favorite stories is an old story from uh, uh, Leo Tolstoy, a, a Russian author. Who I think it's actually called Where Love Is, God Is. But, some, but it's a story about a cobbler. 
Now, not a dessert. I love those kind of cobblers, but this is a shoemaker and uh, a guy who repairs and makes shoes. And so he, um, uh, he tells this story of this guy who, uh, who, having undergone tragedy with his own family, he has now just put himself into his work, but uh, every night he found himself looking for hope and looking for peace, and he started reading the scriptures, and he just started asking and looking for God. And, uh, and he felt in, in his prayers one night that uh, God said that he would come and visit him, that he would see him. And so he's working uh, in, his, in his little shop, and, uh, and he would see people walk by his shop. And at one point in time, he sees a guy shoveling the snow that's outside of his shop and clearing that out. And so he welcomes him in because he's cold and he shares with him a hot drink. Later on, as he's working, he, he will see a, a, a woman walk by with a baby and they are not dressed for the weather. And so he would welcome them in and give them warmer clothes and some money for some food. And then he would continue his work and later on uh, in the day, uh, a young boy would try to rob another person while walking down the street, and he would come out and he would treat both of them graciously and resolve the situation so that she was not stolen from, but yet also um, this boy had a future and a hope. And afterwards, that night, as he's, he's going uh, to bed, he found himself, you know, I had my door open, I was looking outside constantly. For, for, for God, who said he was going to drop by, but all I saw were these various people coming by. And in that moment, he, he heard God say, I was there. That the story of Jesus, whatever you have done for the least of these, you have done for me. It's the story that goes throughout the scriptures from Abram all the way to Jesus, that God has a soft spot and has a desire to be with those who have not yet completed their story, who, who, are, who are still find themselves saying, God, I know there's got to be something more. Who, who, those who are still saying, okay, what's going to happen next? It seems like I'm in a rough patch now. Where do we go from here? Uh, this, this last week, I, I, I took some time off. I uh, spent some time with some friends, and then I went and did um, some genealogy work. I wanted to look at my ancestors, wanted to in some ways, it's just an excuse to travel. But no, I really, I, I enjoy it too. But I know my family doesn't in particular. In fact, I had asked at one point in time, I said, hey, what if we went to West Virginia and uh, I, there's this one spot I want to go to and I know I'm going to spend multiple hours one of those days like just in a library looking at like microfilm and printing it out. It's going to be the most boring thing in the world. Not exciting at all. But for me, like I really wanted to see that and do that. And um, uh, Alex had been with uh, my parents for the last three weeks, and so they were going to bring them back up. And I said, oh, you know what? I'll meet you halfway, because then I can go, and I can spend a couple days first, and I can do that, and then I'll meet you halfway and pick him up, and you don't have to drive him back to Maine from Wisconsin. And so I got to do that, and while uh, I was picking up Alex, and I'm talking with my mom, and I said, I said, you know, I don't know why I chose this line. Obviously, other than it's easy. I chose the line that kept my last name. Like, that was easy. But really, I said to her, I said, I had 256 branches to choose from. Going back to 1750, I had 256 paths I could have taken. And my mom's like, wait, what? 256? I said, yeah, absolutely. It's like, how was that? I said, well, if I follow your line, dad's line, that's two paths. But then I got to choose your mom or your dad or his mom, or his dad, so that's four paths, and then i got to choose each of their parents, and that's eight, and 16, and 32, and on, and on, and on. By the time I go back to 1750, it's 256. 
And she's like, oh, and I said, for whatever reason I chose, I was going to go to the area they were in here. And, uh, and, she, and so we, we talked about that just a little bit. And, uh, I, and, and if I go back another 250 years, i got to multiply 256 by 2 eight more times. And if I go back another 250 years, i got to multiply it by 8, or multiply it by 2 eight more times again. Every, like, 250 years, I have to, like, multiply. By eight. That's how many paths of generations I can do. And if you do the math, I, know, I think I've said this before, if you do the math, if you go all the way back to Abram, the number of times you're going to multiply by two, you are not going to have room in your calculator for the number that shows up. It's going to be one of those decimal points with an E at the end that you're like, did I mess up? Um, and it's going to be huge. In fact, it's going to be larger than the number of people who've ever lived on this earth. And so you're going to be like, wait, wait, how is that possible? Well, obviously, you know, people marry cousins or whatnot, but, you know, that happens. But um, in this in that, in that hypothetical, what it means is, with some degree of mathematical certainty, we're all related to Abram. <laughs> we're all related to him. That indeed, when he says, your generations will be as numerous as the dust on the earth, he's saying, we are all uh, your children will be greater than anything you could count. Before he initially said with the stars, there's a part of me that wonders if Jesus is like, or God's like, did you miss that analogy? Let's try the dust here. I'm, I'm serious about this promise here. You cannot count this. In fact, there was a time when Jesus was walking when, when people were very, very proud of their lineage, where people were very, very proud to say, oh, but I can trace back to Abraham, and so it makes me something. And so they, they, they would claim who they were as a descendant of Abraham. And Jesus ended up saying to them, come on, God can make descendants of Abraham out of these rocks. He formed Adam out of the dirt. You think he can't make descendants out of anything? And without, so, so his point here being, the point isn't a genealogy for the sake of saying, aha, I got it, I'm pure, or I'm, or I'm, or I'm the closest line, or something weird like that. It's not about seeing what you can get out of it. God could raise descendants from the rocks, Jesus says. Pedigree doesn't matter, but rather faithfulness to God in the same way that Abram showed faithfulness is what matters. Faithfulness to the God who has promised to be with us all this time. You see, this promise he has for Abram, that he's always going to be with him, the reason why we still have the Old Testament and still hold it up as Scripture is because we recognize the story of God's provisions, the story of God's grace, the story of their faithfulness, and sometimes their faithlessness. This is all a story that is a part of our story, and God's grace, God's commitment is as true today as it was then. In fact, one of the things I love about this story is I try to imagine Abram's world and how ancient and how old it is and how like there's so little we have written before that. It's just like, man, God has been saying from as early as we can say, I desire to be with my people. I desire to live with and dwell among my creation. I desire for them to find deliverance from the things that enslave them. I desire to love them and to show them a proper way. And this is shown and embodied especially in Jesus Christ.
in the Gospels, and you're going to have an opportunity if, if you continue to do the intersections insert every week. You're going to find that as we go through these, some of these Old Testament stories, you'll find a Gospel or, you'll, uh, or a, a New Testament passage that coincides with that, and you'll find yourself saying, oh, this really is like uh, these stories all relate. And if you've done the intersections over the last couple years we've been doing this, when that, that Friday is the day where you say, how is this all related? <laughs> how, wh- wh- what do uh, the stories of these different passages, how do they relate together? What does this say about God? What is this saying about me? What, what can I draw from this? And I think what, one of the things that we're going to find is a common theme is that God is, our God is one who has always said, I desire to be with you. I have a plan. I have a future for you. In in the Gospel of Matthew at the beginning, he begins by saying, hey, this Jesus that I'm about to talk to you about, from Abram to David, the perfect number of generations of, of people, from David, the most popular king, the one who was a man after God's own heart, all the way to Jesus, the perfect number of generations. The story, it's his way of saying, the, way, the story I'm about to tell you about Jesus is the same story of God's faithfulness that we have had since Genesis. It is still our story. The promise of the resurrection, the promise of the grace of God in our life, is made available to Abram, to us, wherever our situation, whatever our lot to the poor, the outcast, the refugee, the underprivileged, those without a voice. God's love reigns there and God's presence abides there. And so we are called as a people of hope to live into the promise of God, to live fully anticipating that God is faithful. No matter where we are today or what happens today or what happened last week, no matter what trials we have, no, God is still with you. God is still guiding you. And that we are called as Abram to live faithfully into that. And that when we have our moments, when we're ahead of of the curve, when indeed we're living in the fullness of God's blessing, to remember that as a moment in which we share with one another, for God's blessings indeed are meant to pour out and shared among each other to find that uh, his whole creation His whole world has been invited to the eternal life promised by Jesus Christ. There's a part of me that thinks next time someone says, oh, this eternal life, how long is that? Well, it's as many years as there are grains of sand. (laughs) Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you so much for... uh, the story of your faithfulness. Story, Heavenly Father, that uh, you have always desired to be with us. And Lord, uh, it is good to see that that has been true since the beginning. And Lord, I pray and I hope that you would help us to be faithful to your love and to your grace. Help us, Lord, to live into and lean into that grace in all of our dealings and all of our interactions with one another. Lord, help us to live with the same kind of grace that Abram showed in this moment. That we would never treat those around us as a stepping stone, as uh, someone who can get...
labor that Jesus called us to. Thank you again for your word and your hope in our life. Pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. We hope this sermon has encouraged you with the gospel of Jesus. More sermons are available online at our website, capenazarene.org. May God bless you as you serve him this week.